Hello and welcome to another episode of Their Giants podcast, episode 141, and it's going to be a fun one. Uh, I'm joined this week by um, Giants beat reporter Danny Emmerman, who covers the team for KNBR, doing a great job. Is this your second year, Danny, or your first? Uh, third year. since Third? Oh my goodness. Yeah. You know, your predecessor and I had a special bond because we're both Terps. So he he, he had a, a larger than life presence in my mind. But your third year, um, you're a rising star in the industry. And uh, I'm very excited to have you come on for the first time to talk a little Giants, a little a little Giants young players we're going to get into today. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me on, Roger. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, well, so we're recording this on Wednesday. Uh, yesterday was a pretty exciting date uh, for the Giants when Cal Harrison got up and made his uh, his debut, the 11th rookie to debut with the Giants this year, which is an incredible total. Um, as you watch that whole thing play out, and it, it was really an exciting day. I went up, I got to talk to Cal's dad, John Barr was there, a lot of brass were there. It, you could tell it was something special. Um, how long has the organization been looking forward to this day? Uh, you know, how carefully, how carefully did they get to manage it? And uh, what do you think this means to the team, uh, both, both for the remainder of the season and, and going forward? Yeah, it was a huge day for the organization and for the Harrison family. Of course, I want to hear more about your day. You were there in Philadelphia. It sounds like you got to talk to them a little bit. Talking to John Barr is always fun. Oh yeah, I didn't get to talk to John Barr. I waved to him. I did get to see a couple of the uh, the the clubbies from from Richmond came up for the trip, which is which is always good seeing them. They were down on the field. Uh, I I will tell you that I, I'm a little I'm a little knackered today from the drive back because uh, we had the the summer classic on the East Coast night road construction, uh, which really oh, no. made my trip back a little longer than it should be. Uh, uh, so I'm a little washed out today. I mean, it was fun. I I did get to talk with Kyle's family, and they were, of course, incredibly excited and proud. And and his coach, his high school coach, uh, was there from De La Salle. I mean, everybody was just so excited. It was a, it was a really fun event. And I think even, you know, getting taken deep by Bryce Harper, even that's kind of a major thing for a young player, right? It's a pretty cool thing to say. Um, you know, you saw the fastball play the way it always has. You saw all the things that make him such an exciting guy. Um, and, and it's funny that it happened in Philadelphia because, you know, the Philly fans, they don't know. They've got their own things going on. They they have a team that went to the World Series last year. And I was sitting next to some Phillies fans and I'm like, yeah, it's this kid's debut. And I came up to see it and they're like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> it's like, it's really funny to get out of your context a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's one of the more exciting games. It'll stick my memory. Even though it was short, it was pretty sweet. Um, you didn't get to see it, right? You're 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 back in San Francisco, so you have to wait till next week to get the, the first bit of Kyle. Yeah, I'll catch up with his family and everything next week when they're at Oracle Park. But yeah, no, this this day has been a long time coming for the organization. But that's only, you know, relatively speaking, it's been a long time coming. He's only been drafted since 2020 he's been a pro for three years um I've been talking a lot to his family this year and sources around Kyle and this year hasn't been easy for him yeah. in the minor leagues it's been a challenge um there have been a bunch of bumps with the injury with the automated balls and strikes with um you know poor defense behind him with a lot of pieces coming in and out of the lineup and it's been frustrating um, so to to summit all of that and to finally make it in this year where there's been, you know, a lot of issues where it's a guy who hasn't really faced that much adversity in his life. 
um this is this was a big deal for him and and for the organization this was Kyle's like Kyle was Farhan Zaidi in this regime's first big get you know in the draft he was the first signature guy the first guy on the big boards in the top 100s um and to see him debut and see him debut like that where you can tell that his stuff plays is a huge deal yeah I mean they had three players from the 2020 draft on the field together uh, at the start of that game, which obviously is the first time that's happened. Uh, but going back to you saying that this has been, there've been bumps and bruises in this season there. There definitely have, that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing for a young guy coming up. I remember talking to Kyle Haynes last year about, about Harrison. He's like, I kind of thought he'd struggle more in double A. And I, I almost wish he had, right. They had to get him out of Eugene because the hitters there just weren't capable of, helping him improve uh, his his game, his pitches, his his control or anything because they were so overmatched by his stuff. And even in double-A, going up against the guys, I remember watching him in the playoff game last year. Um, you know, there was a player in the Erie lineup who was like 28, had something like 1,200, 1,500 professional at-bats of experience, you know, that he's going up against as a as a – 21 year old at that time uh, and it was really remarkable because he's he's so kind of beyond his years to see him compete with guys with that experience and now he's going up against the same thing you know guys with thousands of major league at bats and and able to compete with them it's it's pretty special yeah listen just like bryce harper you know a probable future hall of famer was his first the first guy that took him deep in the bigs i mean trey turner right was a world series champion you know perennial batting title contender amazing player he's the first strikeout right yeah um so it's a, a, a truly memorable night and again just just to know that you can compete at this level is i'm sure a real sense of relief for him i mentioned that uh he was the 11th guy who's made his debut this year which is an astounding total for kind of where the franchise and organization is i just right before you got on i went back and looked at the, the 2008 team which i remembered had a ton of debuts and if i uh if i recognize everybody correctly they had 16 which was amazing but that team never had any pretenses to competing they were like post barry bonds trying to find a new direction and as brian sabian said they were kind of hosting open auditions Competing and developing at the same time is really difficult, as we've seen this year with, you know, these lineups that have four rookies at the bottom of the order, and it's really hard to sustain rallies. Um, you know, it's kind of the the Warriors two timeline thing. It's tough to do both. How would you assess their their ability to do both at the same time? And, and where is the organization really focused? Which, do they want to see... The competing or the development most important to them at this point uh, in this 2023 season. Yeah, um, I was really excited to come on this podcast because I know you're really bright and I know you follow the team um, as well and as closely as anyone. And one of the reasons why I'm excited to answer this because I think it's the right question. I think this is the question that's defining this season. Um, the balance to strike between competing now and developing for the future. Um getting guys into the lineup maybe earlier than they can or higher in the order where they should be. Yeah. Um, you know, pitchers being stretched out or not stretched out. And that's all related to developing versus competing now. Um, would it be better for Kyle Harrison's development if he was stretched out and could start games now? Um, maybe not. I don't know. It might be better to save his arm. 
Um, but I think this team needs a starting pitcher, and I think they're yeah. going to want to try to stretch him out and try to get him to 90, 100 pitches as soon as they can, obviously with the, with his safety in mind and everything for sure. But they want another starting pitcher, and they're going to try to get Kyle Harrison to be a starting pitcher. Um, as, it, as it pertains to, to developing and competing at the same time, I think, you know, we talked about it a lot when Wade Meckler debuted. Yeah. Um, and he debuted in his first MLB game. This is a guy who's played like 90 minor league games and got drafted last year. Three years ago, he was cut from his college team. Like this guy doesn't have the pedigree. And all of a sudden he's thrown into the fire. He's hitting third. That is a moment of this developing versus competing um, pendulum that I like to think about a lot. I think I don't think he should have been hitting third. I don't think you should throw a guy like that into the fire like that. Even with all his great, you know, accolades in in AAA and AA and rising through the minors, I think that's a lot to ask for a kid. I think when we've seen competing and developing succeed at the major league level, level we've seen it in Houston. And we've seen it in Los Angeles with the Dodgers. And in those situations, these teams have the luxury of having a core, you know, an ironclad core of superstars, either homegrown position players or otherwise, where you can have them in the meat of your lineup. And around them, you can kind of introduce prospects here and there and give them a lot of runway. And there's not that much pressure on them. The Giants don't really have that privilege right now. And that's what makes this question really pertinent. Yeah. I mean, if you can mix one guy in, two guys in, or they're, you know, kind of complementary players, it's a lot easier than having a literally an entire half of a lineup being guys who are trying to figure their way out. Um, and, and obviously part of the story is that, uh, you know, the veterans who are counted on to be the meat of the lineup for one reason or another, injury, ineffectiveness, aren't kind of pulling their weight Um it's interesting you mentioned uh, stretching Harrison out. I, 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 the Giants are doing a very interesting thing with their player, their pitcher development, where they have really, really been conservative about pitch counts and inning counts. Um, and that's an it's an industry trait, but they are kind of going to their own new level with it. And I, I think Pete Patilla probably has something to do with that because Houston's done that for years. And I was having a conversation with somebody um, recently uh, where he's, I think they just, you can assess, teams are feel confident in assessing the quality of stuff and they can assess if stuff is major league caliber and they don't necessarily want to waste all those bullets in the minor leagues. And a, a lot of that is about keeping these guys fresh and then figuring it out at the major league level uh, in whatever role they're going to be. The counter side to that that a lot of people will say is, well, but you have, they have to learn it in the minors. How do you teach them to go, you know, to get through that lineup the second, third time without learning it? Um, the Giants actually have an interesting case study in that in Logan Webb, who, because his minor league career was so bizarre, he, you know, he had the TJ and they were really conservative coming back from that. And just when they started to stretch him out, he had the suspension. He virtually never pitched five or six innings in the majors. He really has been a guy who learned how to, throw the seventh, eighth, and ninth in the major leagues. And he's a guy who I guess can be there as a mentor uh, to Kyle Harrison. So it's interesting to see that type, you know, that starting to shape up on the, on the pitching staff. I think, you know, Logan Webb's going to be a real mentor for these kids as they start coming up, whether Terrace and, you know, Beck or whoever. Um, 
how is he sort of taking charge of the young kids that come up? That's a really interesting proof of concept with Logan Webb. I never thought of his minor league rise in that way, just as a reflection of also someone who kind of is rising through the minors in this age of keeping guys' arms fresh and analytics and, you know, doing everything you can for the health of of these guys. I didn't think about it that way because I don't think that was exactly by design with right. Logan, but it did happen. Um, and Logan... Um, in terms of leading and being a good teammate, I don't think there's any question that he's been able to step into that role pretty seamlessly. I think when I think about Logan and leadership, it comes back a lot to 2021 when he emerged. And I was in the clubhouse that year in the second half when he had already, you know, kind of come into his own a little bit um, and getting to know the, the dynamics between him and, and Kevin Gosman and him and Johnny Cueto a little bit. You could kind of see him, you know, not taking notes, but you could see him learning from them and and just take like stepping in their shoes and and watching how they compose themselves. And it was a big deal for him to learn that on the fly. And he's already applied it really, really quickly. And there's a reason why, you know, his locker is always next to Cobb's and his locker is next to Carlos Rodon's. He picks things from these guys. He picks their brains and he's a really great teammate and he's really beloved in the clubhouse. Um, he's there's a lot of different people wouldn't understand. People might not guess this, but there are a lot of different personalities in the Giants clubhouse. <laughs> um, you might not see that on the field and you might not see that portrayed um, in marketing materials or anything. But listen, Logan is on one corner and he's right next to Alex Cobb and Alex Wood. On the other corner is Jock Peterson, and he has like five lockers for all of his <laughs> It's an interesting dichotomy. And there's Logan kind of has a little bit of every corner in him. And I think that's really interesting. He has the Patrick Bailey corner with the youth and the energy. Yeah. And he has the the bullpen corner. He's pretty quirky and he can kind of relate to everyone. And I think that's a big deal. It's kind of one of his superpowers as a teammate. Yeah. And uh, I think he and Kyle are going to be a really good pair. They, they're both extremely competitive. They're both, I think, very mature. I, I think it's be fun to see those two guys grow up together as giants. You mentioned Meckler. His ascension to the majors is really fascinating. And kind of your uh, your colleague, Andrew Baggerly, was describing it the other day as a, as a real gamble, which I agree with. Um he wasn't close to needing to be on the 40 man. So there are 40 man implications. Somebody this fall is probably not going to get protected because he's there. He had a skill set that overlaps a bit with Louis Matos, who was already up trying to find his way. Uh, they did not need to bring him up, <laughs> but they did. <laughs> what should we read into that? What did we learn about that decision? Yeah. Um, I have a lot of thoughts on this and I'm not sure I've processed them all the right ways. Um, I think the reason that they called Wade Meckler up is because they were desperate one and two, because he had defeated every level and yeah. that's kind of what they look for in prospects. And that's the simple thing that they look for. Um, for some prospects, maybe you don't need a ton of plate appearances. You look at like Von Grissom, you know, in Atlanta, mm -hmm. he's been pretty successful after never hitting in AAA. He jumped right from AA. Um, 
some prospects that have gotten called up this year, maybe not so much, you know, in, in Los Angeles for the angels, it's been kind of a mixed bag. They have been really aggressive in promoting prospects. Um, if you look at Wade Meckler's profile, I don't really think he's the type of guy who you take a huge gamble on. I don't think it's super wise to to throw that guy in the fire, like I mentioned earlier. Um, he doesn't really have the pedigree. He's undersized. He's a little bit he, – he's fast, but he doesn't steal bases. So what is his tool that is going to stand out at the big league level? What is What is his transferable skill? It's his plate discipline, right? Mm-hmm. And his plate discipline – you know, it might be a little bit compounded. The issue might be a little bit compounded right now with how things are going in the minor leagues, but his plate discipline might stand off the page a little bit more with ABS than it than it would at the major league level. And at the major league level, you know, pitchers are better and they're better at paying the corners. And and if you're spitting on these pitches, they're going to get called for strikes and you're going to strike out. Yeah. And it hasn't been pretty for Wade. And listen, Wade Meckler might be a really good player someday, but you don't you can let that guy develop there was no rush to get him here and i'm a little bit torn on it because in general the if you're desperate and you need outfit outfield help you know as a fan of a team or as someone covering it it's more interesting for you to promote the guy who you just drafted (laughs) than it is to sign like a 4a player on the waiver wire like they have been in the past few years and i think for your organization it's healthier to do that generally you don't need this con- like constant roster churn on the edges of the 40 man roster. It would be better if you could get, if, if you could fill in all these gaps internally, it would be much better. But I think it was a really, really aggressive move to promote Wade when they did. There's an interesting kind of sliding doors element to this. Um, you know, obviously, as you say, Wade's a, a, an undersized guy. He is, um, not a a really loud contact guy. He's obviously not going to be a power guy. And that's really the element the team has been missing for most of the summer is their power completely disappeared. They had on the roster at the time, um, Elliot Ramos, who had, has shown some signs of, uh, of improvement in his approach an ability to get balls in the air rather than, than all of his hard contact being on the ground and had like that week had, uh, I think three of the four or five hardest hit balls or hardest hit hits yeah, the team's right. had all year, uh, you know, a big home run, a ball <clears> off <throat> the bricks. There's a very clear difference in these guys, like chase rates, which is important to this club. But you wonder if maybe the opportunity was there to see if they could get some impact out of Ramos. And they chose not to do that. Um, reading to the question, have they turned the page on on Elliot at this point? It doesn't seem like he's gotten a fair shot. It really doesn't. The leeway in the runway that they've given Wade Meckler was probably never afforded to Elliot Ramos, despite, you know, Ramos probably having more natural gifts. They're around the same age. They have about, you know, Ramos might have more potential just as a pure prospect evaluation. His ceiling is probably higher. Um, they never really gave him a shot at the major league level, which is pretty confounding to me. Um, they, as soon as Wade Meckler, this is, this is the whole situation at the crux of, you know, what me and Gabe had our little conversation about (laughs) as soon as Wade Meckler debuted, it was in his debut. The giants would have, 
the Giants preferred him hitting against a left-handed pitcher than Elliot Ramos, who was hitting really well at the time. Of course, it's in a small sample size, and he doesn't have that many uh, pinch-hitting experience. But at the time, Wade Meckler had like four plate appearances at the major league level. Like Nobody had experience in the situation. They yeah. just didn't believe in Elliot Ramos to come through in that situation. And they didn't believe him, believe in Ramos again when they, you know, just opted him down and kept Luis Matos and Wade Meckler over him. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm not, I don't know if Elliot Ramos is a good player or if he'll ever be a good player, but it doesn't seem like he's gotten the same chances as everybody else. And that says a lot about how the organization views him. I, he certainly has never gotten the sort of full-throated ruminative let's be patient with this guy uh, no. uh, press conference that the manager gave for Meckler. Uh, just two days ago um well so let's let's look at this group of people sort of in mass and i'm I'm really focusing on the hitters i think we have some really good pitching stories that have that have clearly stepped up this year um you know two guys i've been long a fan of ryan walker and tristan beck are having really good years and, and are gonna be part of this team the hitters are more of a mixed bag because hitting is so hard in the majors frankly where are the Giants' assessments with this rookie crop? Who do they think they can count on, you know, as they start to think about what the 2024 team is going to look like? Yeah, I mean, Bailey Bailey is a lock. He's the, yep. he's the catcher of the future. I think he's earned that, and I don't really think there's any doubt about that. He's been arguably the best defensive catcher in baseball. It's been extremely impressive. Um, I think Blake Sable is a guy who people might forget about because he's a rule five pick, but he's definitely a win. Definitely a success story. And I think the role that he's kind of been in for the past five, six weeks as, you know, he's your fourth outfielder. He'll play against righties and he'll catch once or twice a week. I think that's a, a perfectly viable, you know, role for him. There's still development to do as a defensive catcher for him, but he's, he's improved a ton during the season. So I think that is huge for them. And, I think it does show that it is possible to develop and compete at the major league level on an individual basis. It's possible to do that. Um, the next few guys that you'd think about in this crop is Luis Matos and Elliot Ramos, as we both mentioned, Casey Schmidt. Um, I'm not sure any of those guys have done enough to solidify a role right away on the opening day roster in 2024. But I think that Luis Matos probably has an upper hand. I think his plate discipline has been pretty good at the major league level. Um, he squared up a ball last night in Philly. I think he has 14 walks compared to like 21, 20 strikeouts, which is pretty solid. And that is a skill that shouldn't dissipate in the major league level. If you have it now, there's no reason why he won't continue to have it next year. He still needs to put on some some muscle, um, get more power. But he's young and his he's a big frame. I'm not. I'm pretty certain that he'll be able to do that eventually. So I think he's probably been the biggest success story on a position player side, other than Bailey, um, and something that the the team can really build on in the future. Sable's a really interesting guy because I mean, one, he's a real five pick, so he's he's found money. I mean, it's a it's a, it's a win no matter what. Um, his season offensively, it started with a bang kind of in late April. There was a series of home runs. Um, but if you go, if you jump on fan graphs and you do the, the split tool from around 
the beginning of May on, there's a clear downward trend where he's a below average hitter, which for backup catchers, no big deal. All backup catchers are below average hitters. Um, but he's more than that. And, and he's not your classic backup catcher either next year, because he's, he won't be a rule five guy anymore. He can be optioned uh, and they can kind of move him up and down more freely. Do you think the things he brings to the the roster and his flexibility his left-handed power are going to be enough that they say, yeah, this is our back, our backup catcher situation. Our whole catcher situation is taken care of at this point. Yeah. I think when you have a cat, a starting catcher like Patrick Bailey, you don't need that much out of a backup catcher. And I think someone with a lot of versatility you know, in that position is really valuable. I remember like in the NFL, right? There's a saying or there's kind of an adage where like Peyton Manning, like the Colts with Peyton Manning never had a backup quarterback. Like, cause right. if they lose Peyton Manning, like they're screwed. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter. <laughs> like if I don't really see like there's there, I don't see backup catcher for the Giants as being a huge need for the next eight, nine years, which is a great luxury to have. Yeah. And if you can have a backup catcher who can also play a little outfield and can hit right-handed pitching, like I think that's a good situation for them. And I think the catching position has played out just about exactly as the Giants had hoped and, and planned on it, especially given where they were with Joey Bart. Um, of course, they they hoped that Bart would be awesome and, and kick ass and be a really great player, but I don't think they had any reservations about where things were headed with him the guys who whose seasons have been more of a mixed bag and i'm, I'm particularly thinking about casey schmidt and and maybe matos uh although i i generally completely agree with you i mean he's going to get stronger his contact skills are otherworldly he can play up the middle that's a profile that plays in the major leagues uh you know once he gets a little stronger um i guess the fear is that he never starts impacting the ball that he's you know victor robles or or jace peterson or you know, who, guys who actually do show up in his similarity profile on on savant but assuming that he gets stronger and starts impacting the ball more the bat speed the contact uh, and his his real just instinct for the game uh are some are things that are going to make him a, a viable player but as the giants start thinking about building a roster next year with guys who have yet to prove in the way Bailey has that they belong here. How do they approach those spots on the roster? Do they leave openings and hope guys take a step forward? Do they just say, no, we got to build a good club because we, we expect to be in the playoffs and let the season take care of opportunities presenting themselves. How do you think they're going to think about this off season with these guys? That's really interesting. And I, I think that, that kind of conversation is what they're talking about behind closed doors. Um, maybe not right now, but maybe in a month or two. Um, I think there is probably some some truth to be told about, you know, giving Bailey a roster spot, obviously, and maybe keeping one open and then filling out your roster as, as best as you can. Because all of these other guys, one of the best things about them is is like they have options. And that is, that's a huge deal. You know, you have options. You can go up and down. Um, that gives them flexibility, the type of flexibility that they want to have at all times. Um, especially when you build an aging roster with free agents and veterans, there's going to be injuries and there's going to be opportunities for these guys to come up. 
Um, so I think to answer your question, I think they'd probably lean towards the, you know, boost the roster, build it as as best as you can, and assume that none of those, the Casey Schmitz and the and the uh, the Keen wins kind of are going to crack the roster immediately, because um, I'm not sure that they've earned it to be yeah. honest. And and if you can build a better roster, then you should do everything that you can to. One thing that we've heard a lot about over, you know, the time since Gabe Kapler arrived and he built this really, really effective coaching staff, a very large coaching staff, a very innovative coaching staff. And one concept you've heard them talk about a lot is development at the major league level. And the guys don't have to be finished products. The finishing school is the majors. I think we've seen that approach be very successful on the pitching side. We've seen a lot of guys come up and get polished up uh, in very effective ways. There hasn't been as much good stories on the hitting side. Uh, whether you go back to, to Joey Bart, um, you know, Dave VR, Mauricio Devon, even short-lived guys like Jalen Davis, a lot of guys that they talked up and had a lot of faith in have not been able to come up and be successful hitters in the major leagues. And again, I em- <laughs> emphasize because it's really, really hard to do that. Uh, but currently, none of the rookies who have played on the team this year have a have a 100 weighted runs created plus. They don't have anybody who's been a league average hitter as a young player, and some of them fall far short of that. Is that something that there's any level of concern on? Do you think, or is it something the org talks about that we need to do a better job somehow of, of helping these guys transition up here? Is there a level of concern with not being able to produce homegrown position players? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think there should be if there isn't. Who is the last awesome position player that this organization has produced? Before Patrick Bailey, I guess. Brandon Belt. Right? That was a long time ago. You could say Brandon Belt or Brandon Crawford or Buster Crawford came up. uh, uh, No, no. Belt came up first, but then went on the back down. I forgot about that. They all came up pretty much together. And they all came up a long time ago. One of them is an owner now. (laughs) <laughs> hey pat mahomes did that you don't have to be old to do that that's true um yeah of course it's an issue and yes hitting is hard but a lot of other organizations are able to produce hitters and develop hitters even at the major league level um even in these short few years in the gabe kapler farhan zaidi regime they have had a few different hitting coaches you know there has been some change. There's, there was Donnie Ecker, and now there's John, Justin Veely and Pedro Guerrero. Um, so you can't pin it on the hitting coaches specifically, I don't think. Um, there has been a lot of different profiles of types of players that they've tried to develop. We mentioned Wade Meckler versus Elliot Ramos. Those are two vastly different types of players. Mm-hmm. None of them have had success, really, for any extended point of time. And that was one of the reasons why it was so fun to watch Casey Schmidt for the first like three weeks of his career when he was hitting everything. He was hitting like 330 and everybody was losing their minds. He was hitting all singles pretty much, but it was great. There was a there he was. It was a Giants rookie hitting the baseball. It was great. And then he kept swinging at everything. Um, I think one of the hard parts in relation to hitting and developing hitters is adjusting to the adjustments. And that's something that Casey Schmidt was not able to do. And it's mm-hmm. something that it 
it seems like Patrick Bailey, it took some time, but he was able to do. And that's the biggest difference, I think, with these guys. And I'm not sure exactly what the coaches can do to help with that, but maybe they can be a little bit more proactive in their scouting reports, in their meetings, in their hitters meetings, um, maybe spending a little bit more time in the cage with these specific young players to help them adjust to that adjustment. Because um, whatever they're doing right now has not really worked. I mean, it's tricky, too, because you want to give a runway to guys to establish themselves. There are going to be those adjustments and counter adjustments. But there's also uh, it's a business where time runs out and time runs out quickly sometimes. Uh, and it can be, you know, suddenly the guy pops up two teams later and a few years later and, and they get it. Um, but it's hard if you don't grab hold of a position quickly, uh, at least. Uh, I mean, Schmidt, I think, was down around. 50 weighted runs created. I mean, it's, it's, it hasn't been good, obviously. So uh, that needs to get better. Okay. I I've been dominating the conversation with talk about hitters. I've only got about five minutes left, but I do want to get back to the idea of starting pitchers. We've heard Farhan's ID say a few times that they would love to have five starting pitchers. I'm not sure how much to trust him when he says that, because they seem to really like not having starting pitchers. As we go into next year, Kyle Harrison Tristan Beck, uh, Keaton Wynn, if he deserves it, Mason Black, if he deserves it. Are we going to see some of these guys come up and be used as starting pitchers? Or are we going to keep seeing the uh, enjoying putting the puzzle together kind of night night by night and inning by inning? Um, I know you want to talk starting pitchers. I know I will get that <laughs> before I do want to go back to that last question. Um, just in terms of developing hitters at the major league at the major league level, the hitters who have passed through and found new teams, as you mentioned, like sometimes that happens and that's okay. But it does prove that these hitters are talented and there is a disconnect. We've seen Connor Joe have success elsewhere, and Mauricio Dubon and Mike Talkman have a success elsewhere. So that those are those are data points that matter. Um and for starting pitchers, yes, the Giants have consistently said that they do want a rotation full of traditional starting pitchers. And I do think that there's merit to that. I do think that's true. I think every team would want to have five Logan Webbs. There's no doubt about that. But I think the the threshold within the Giants of what makes a pitcher worth, you know, giving that type of leash is pretty high. I think you really need to prove yourself that you can get through a lineup three times really effectively and consistently. And if you don't two, three, four times in a month, then you're not going to be able to keep starting. I think Wood, Alex Wood doesn't really have a case to be a starter in terms of the way the Giants see starting pitching. But he was really frustrated when he got moved to the bullpen because he said like, hey, I only had like, one two bad starts and the other one i got injured yeah that tells you a couple things it tells you that they are really tough on their pitchers and that they have a high standard for them and it tells you that wood was already kind of on the bubble of what they viewed as a starting pitcher he would he would never get through the lineup three times they don't want him this third time through splits are horrendous but there's still value in having a starter pitch starting pitcher get through the lineup two and a half times and get through five innings and two or three runs. That's a good start. It's not a quality start, but there's value in that. The Giants have no real interest in that anymore. Yeah. As 
that's just what their their behavior has told us. Um, they think that they can have two two pitchers cover those five and a third innings more effectively. So if if Keaton Wynn or Tristan Beck looks closer to, you know, if he looks closer to Alex Wood in terms of getting through a lineup, turning it over three times, or the lack of ability to do so, then Alex Cobb does. And Cobb has struggled a little bit, but he has the track record of being able to do it consistently. Um, if he looks closer to Wood than Cobb, then I don't think he's going to be a traditional starter, at least not right away, until he can prove so. And then you get into the little catch-22 where it's, how are you going to prove so if you're not right. going to be given the chance? And it's really tough. But I think I think it's going to be, you know, there are still hopes and dreams in the Giants organization of a starting rotation of <laughs> Webb and Cobb and Harrison and Wisenhunt and that's a really good start. And maybe you fill in the, the rest with an opener game. Yeah, if the question of... Spot, that's fine. The, the question of how you prove it without getting the chance is is one that uh, we'll be interested to see how that plays out, particularly with someone like Beck. And I'm sure a lot of it has to do with stuff models and stuff that's going on behind the scene. But uh, yeah, we we probably didn't get to, to tax day this year before the idea of Sean Manaya and Rod Stripling being actual starting rotation people was was blown out the window because, uh, yeah, two, three bad outings and, and it is done. Uh, well, Zoom is telling me I have to get off here, Danny. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on and talking um, uh, and having fun with this conversation. You do such great work on KMBR. Uh, is there anything you want to plug before you go that, that we're going to be seeing from you pretty soon? Uh, no, just follow uh, follow me on Twitter at Danny Emmerman, and you can follow along with all of my work at KMBR.com. We do a bunch of great stuff there on the digital team. That is for sure. And of course, everyone can read all of my stuff uh, at uh, theragiants.com, where I produce many more words every day than I should. Uh, and <laughs> we'll follow along into the offseason and start ranking soon. So thanks, everyone, for joining, and we'll be back next week. Thanks, Roger. Everybody.